Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for spending your Sunday uh, with us. We know there's a lot of places uh, you could be, and we're thankful that you're here with our church family uh, this morning. Whether it's your first time here or you've been with us for a number of years, welcome. We're glad to have you, and we hope to see you uh, again. If you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, and we'll share briefly out of Luke 5, and then we're going to dismiss uh, uh, this morning. The Gospel of Luke is uh, one of my favorite accounts of the life of Jesus. It's written by an outsider, a guy named Luke. He's a Gentile doctor. He also writes the book of Acts, which tells us the history of the New Testament church. And uh, if you've ever read the New Testament and wondered why there are four books that essentially all tell the same story, it's because the Bible believes in the value of perspective. And so we have four perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, followers of Jesus, converts into the way of following Christ, who all write about the things that they have heard and the things that they have seen. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells a particularly interesting story about a day of ministry in the life of Jesus. It happens inside the context of a home. Uh, Some people have to remodel some things in order to fit some more folks. And uh, it illustrates to us a principle about how Jesus works. Remember, the Bible is not a mere historical record. It doesn't just tell us who Jesus was. It prophesies to us who Jesus is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means this. If he healed in the New Testament, he heals today. If he saved back then, he saves today. If he restored back then, he restores today. His character is immutable. He is unchangeable. He is the rock that we have been set upon that is higher than ourselves. He is unchanging and unshaken through every season of life. Friend, our hope is not invested in politics. It is not founded on governmental entities. It does not rest in who is in the White House. It rests on who is the king of your heart. And his name is Jesus. So I know that people's emotions come and go. It's like a roller coaster, you know, in our political process. And, you know, the great thing about elections is they happen all the time. (laughs) And so if you're not happy now, just wait. And if you're happy now, just wait. (laughs) Things are always changing. That's the nature of our democratic experiment. But we give glory to God because the mission of the church is unchanged. You might feel like there's been a lot of change this week, but the mission of the church is unchanged. We exist to glorify Jesus, and in doing so, bring people into an encounter with the presence of God. Friend, that is what you're experiencing this morning. Now, you might be here and say, Pastor, I've never been to a church service like this. Awesome. We hope that this happens on even a more regular basis here. Because when God shows up, things that man tried to program and plan seem to go out of the window. And that's okay because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And you got to make a choice in your life. Either you will have control and comfort or you will let God be God and have him lead you on the greatest adventure that life has ever seen. Friend, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus with everything that you have. I know that we have five-year plans and 10-year plans and six-month plans, but if 2020 has proved anything, it's that we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds our future, and that's enough. And in Luke 5, we find this story. Uh, Starting in verse 17, the Bible says this, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that's Jesus, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. They had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord, watch, was present to heal. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. 
Let me share this with you this morning, friend. God's power is most witnessed in life's most difficult circumstances. God isn't waiting on the other side of your perfection in order to display his power. He's just asking you to be available. Can I tell you the greatest spiritual gift that you can have in this season is not the ability to prophesy. It's not the ability to know the future. It's not signs, wonders, miracles, tongues, or any of it. The greatest spiritual gift in this season is simply this, your availability. You know what I found? God loves available people. God loves working with people who say things like this, here am I, Lord, send me. I don't know exactly what I'm signing up for, but I trust you with the outcome, so here am I, send me. And I think sometimes we're so busy with the things of life that we end up hanging no vacancy signs on the doorpost of our heart. And God is just looking for a people who will simply be available unto him. And not just in the 90 minutes that you attend church on a Sunday morning. It's a discipline to remain available in the midst of chaos. But the more chaotic the world becomes, the more disciplined your life must become. In fact, Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy. Train yourself for godliness. Meaning this, we would love to think that when we get saved, godliness just becomes our norm. But that's not true. We discipline and train ourselves into obedience to the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We got to train ourselves for godliness. I wish at the moment we got saved, everything was perfect. God just snapped his fingers. We're fully developed, fully mature, never sin again, never have a bad thought, never think something wrong, never offend somebody. We're just perfectly 100% from that moment forward. But the reality is, Paul says this, you are saved and you are being saved. Meaning this, there is a process, a development to your faith that requires ongoing obedience to the upward call of Christ. And this is what we mean when we talk about Christ followership. The Bible says the power of the Lord was present to heal, but it's not until you go back to verse 16 that you find out why the power of the Lord was present to heal. The Bible says this, however, the report went around concerning him all the more. All the great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Frank, can I tell you that intimacy with God in private breeds confidence in public. Jesus withdraws from the crowds, withdraws from the chaos. We live in a generation that is 100% connected but equally lonely. We're connected on every app. We post pictures of our best moments. We pretend to be so much better than we actually are. We are so much more connected than any other generation, and yet the rates of loneliness are higher than they've ever been. And can I tell you, God disciplines your heart. He spiritually develops your life when you make a determination to withdraw from the crowds and spend time with the Father. For you and for me, it's not easy. But that's why Scripture determines the terminology here with things like discipline or train yourself for godliness. Watch 15. However, the report went around concerning him all the more. Great multitudes came together to hear. Right, let me tell you this. Man, the crowds are unfaithful. If you live for compliments, you will die by criticism. God's rule and reign in your life is not up for democratic vote. He didn't win a popularity contest, and that's why he deserves to be worshipped as Lord and Savior. No, the people he came to save killed him, offered him up on a tree, but death couldn't hold him. There are a lot of religions. There's one empty grave, and it belongs to Jesus. And so I think sometimes in our life, 
in the West, everything is based upon the approval of the crowd. And watch what Jesus says. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you too. It doesn't mean we walk around with a persecution complex trying to be hated on by everyone around us. But I hope it does remind us this morning that you are swimming upstream. You are going against the flow. You are culturally going in the opposite direction of the spirit of the age. And in doing so, what you'll find is encountering friction and resistance that you never knew was there. The power of the Lord was present to heal who? Them. In verse 17, the Bible tells us who that them was. It was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I want you to see this. Even the enemies of Christ were invited into his healing presence. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. But if you continue to read the story in Luke 5, what you'll find is there's only one man who receives healing. Even though the presence of the Lord was there to provide healing corporately, there's only one individual who caught it. Remember what Scripture says. He knows your requests before you pray them. But although he knows my requests before I pray them, he most often will not release those requests in my life until I pray for them. Why? Because God is looking for my engagement. In fact, Scripture says this, it's impossible to please God without faith. The facts are God knows my requests, but faith is manifested when I ask. That's why Scripture says this, ask and you will receive. Well, why do I have to ask if God already knows? Because what he's looking for is a relationship. Because God is not some sort of kind of divine vending machine in heaven by which you just put in a quarter and out pops a prayer request. He's actually looking for relationship. That's why he sends Jesus. The incarnation is the act of God himself becoming like us to save us from us. Why? Because God is looking for a family. He's after the relationship. He's after the engagement of your heart. When the power of the Lord is present, I've got to make a choice. Will I engage with what is already here in order to receive what God already knows that I'm in need of? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is a person? It's not just a mystical force. It's not just goosebumps. It's not just when the music plays right. The Holy Spirit is a person. And because he is a person, he can be resisted. And wherever he is resisted, you will find men and women who have missed out on an opportunity to experience the fullness of what God provides. The power of the Lord is present. Are you? The power of the Lord is present. Are you? The question is not, is God still speaking? The question is, are we still listening? The question is not, is God still pouring out his spirit? The question is, will we be vessels to receive the things that he is pouring out? I don't think there's anything special about what the pursuit is doing outside the fact that I think God has found people who are foolish enough to believe that what he has done in the past, he will do in the present if we simply ask. And that's why we tell the testimony of God in the assembly of his people. Because every time we tell a testimony, we're shouting to heaven, do it again. <laughs> And so for us, that's why we celebrate things like baptisms. Because every time somebody gets baptized, I'm prophesying to this region. Give up sons and daughters who have not yet found the Father and bring them into the Father's house. Every time we tell the testimony, we prophesy into the wilderness that there is a stream that is flowing, abundant with life. And all who are planted by it will bear fruit in season and out of season. 
The question is not, is God still interested in an outpouring of his spirit in this nation? The question is, will the church awaken in this hour to hear the clarion call of the spirit? He who has ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him presupposing that just because you have ears doesn't mean you hear. And just because you have eyes doesn't mean you see. Isn't this what's true of the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, those who knew the word inside and out, and yet they missed the fulfillment? And when Jesus was in the house, the Pharisees and the scribes, micromanaging everything he said, missed out on the most sacred nature of who he was, his presence. And sometimes we get in church and we notice everything else except the guest of honor. Sometimes we get in church and it's like everybody else is receiving, but what about me? Friend, I'm telling you, to engage in God's presence is a discipline of your spirit. Watch what the story continues to tell us. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. Watch. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. You need faith, people, in your life because faith attracts the attention of heaven. I love that Jesus looks at the faith of his friends and does a miracle for the man who is paralyzed. Meaning this, who you surround yourself with is instrumental in the development of your spirituality. And today, I want to give you permission as a pastor and as a friend, as a co-laborer in the harvest field, that there are some things in your life that you won't ever break free from until you make a decision to withdraw from the dysfunction of your last season to enter into the development of your next season. Not everybody nor everything can come with you where you're going some of you got to downsize others of you got to upsize but what I do know is this today's strategies won't work for tomorrow's problems and manna from last year from last season from my last church from my last conference from my last spiritual high will not feed me in today's wilderness and Jesus withdrew and by the time Jesus engages back in this house, it's so packed with people that they cut a hole in the roof to let down a man who just needed to lay in the presence of God. I think sometimes we think about church like the place that I got to be perfect in order to show up at. Friend, I'll tell you this. God will take you in any condition. God loves you so much, he won't ever turn away the broken or the contrite. In fact, Scripture says a bruised reed, he will not break. In fact, Scripture says that his strength is made manifest in your weakness. In fact, Scripture says a righteous man falls seven times, but he get back up. In fact, Scripture says that the weak will run into him, for he is a strong tower and they will be saved. This is what the Bible says about who we are, which means this. I don't got to clean myself up to get to the presence. It's when I get in the presence that my life is transformed. I can't come to church because I've been divorced. No, you need to be in church because you've been divorced. I can't come to church because I deal with addiction. No, you need to be in church because you deal with addiction. And when we recognize corporately our spiritual poverty, which is a great need for God to be God so we can be us, then collectively we bring heaven to earth in this community. See, none of us have it all together, no matter how much we pretend. And I refuse to be angry at people who sin differently than me. 
What we need is the Jesus of Scripture to do everything the Bible says he can do. Church isn't the place that we go to pretend we have it all together, but instead to find ourselves laid out at the feet of Jesus. Most theologians believe this man was paralyzed, likely from the neck down. He was laying on a mat, paraplegic most likely. But his friends took the roof off and doing so created more room for Jesus to work. There has never been a vessel that God has been unwilling to fill. But there's been a lot of times and a lot of places where once people got filled up, they said, this is good, God, we don't need anymore. I want you to think about the widow where Elijah ministers to her and she's starving and she's going broke and there's no help for her or her sons and she needs oil to make bread. Elijah says to her, go into every house, go to every neighbor you got, grab every vessel they have and set it before the Lord. And in doing so, what you will find is a miracle of multiplication. Every vessel you bring is a vessel he will fill. I want you to transpose that story into a New Testament context and understand that there has never been a vessel that God has refused to fill. He responds to our hunger and thirst. Isn't that why scripture says those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled? But can I give you a caution this morning? It's hard for the Holy Spirit to fill you when you're so full of yourself. And I think this is what it means to decrease so that he can increase. I think that's what it means to humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord that he may promote you in due time. And I think sometimes we're so filled with the knowledge of us and the knowledge of culture that we forget that the earth is filled with the knowledge of God. And he's looking for vessels. Scripture says his eyes go to and fro throughout the earth looking for vessels to fill. And you know what I feel about the pursuit? God was scanning the northwest and all of a sudden he saw there's a people who are foolish enough to believe me at my word there's some vessels that I want to fill can you imagine the high king of glory scanning the earth heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool but who will build my house and what we see in Luke 15 is the house is full but as soon as you make room God fills it you're not always going to have faith for you. But if you've got faithful friends, there's enough faith for you. I think we ought to surround ourselves with people who are going in a similar direction as us. Scripture says, how can two walk together unless they agree? Scripture says, well, Scripture says a lot of things. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that tangent. Well, yes, I am. <clears throat> What fellowship does light have with darkness? We have become so enamored with the affirmation of darkness that we have found ourselves in fellowship to things that make us unequally yoked. <laughs> and we are in the world, friend, but we are of the world. And we can ask for the Holy Spirit all day, but until we get some holiness in our lives... It's hard to attract the thing that you're asking for. And if we want to be the kingdom of God, come to earth in this community, God ought to raise up a righteous remnant and standard in the earth that when the enemy comes in like a flood, there's something righteous that rises up inside of us. 
There ought to be a marked difference in your life. No, I'm not preaching law. No, I'm not preaching legislation. No, I'm not preaching legality. No, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Sadducee. At least I don't think. But what I do know is that when I spend time with him, I look less like I used to and more like him. And isn't that the point of transformative relationship? That as I behold his beauty, I am transformed into his likeness. And I think that's why it's so important that there's a marked difference on your life. You ever get around people and you just know, man, that person's a believer. I don't know how I know, but when I get around them, there's something that they carry that is familiar to the thing that I carry. And I know that I know that I know. And Fred, for you and I, and we've been called, we've been marked. Watch, watch what happens. Behold, they brought this man who was paralyzed. They could not bring him in because of the crowd. They cut a hole right in the roof. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. I know some Christians don't believe in miracles, but the greatest miracle that Jesus ever done, he is still doing, which is forgiving people of their sins. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's death until he returns. Because in doing so, we are identifying that who I used to be, I am no longer today. I'm a new creation. The old man has been buried. I've been raised to new life. And in his vicarious death and resurrection, we too have identified with his death and with his resurrection. And the scribes and the Pharisees began saying, who is this? Who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Friend, Jesus perceives our thoughts in order to address our hearts. Why? For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And you know the express purpose of God giving you a renewed mind? It's so that you can think about the circumstances of life as he thinks about them. It's not just enough for me to pray and hope that God works something out on my behalf. I want to view my world through a Christological lens, meaning I see my surroundings as Jesus sees them. Until this part of you comes into agreement with what the scripture says, you'll find yourself waging an eternal war over the direction and trajectory of your life. Friend, for you and I, we come into agreement with what God has said. Verse 23, Jesus says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house glorifying God. They were all amazed. They glorified God. They were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Yeah. If you're offended that God can forgive, just wait until he starts to heal and restore and redeem. I hate to hang on to expired versions of people. And if you're in community long enough, what you will see is people on their best days and people on their worst days. And because love keeps no record of, you've got to make a decision about how you will remember co-laborers in the harvest field. And so we make a decision and a determination to extend the same type of grace and mercy that God has extended to us, to those who have hurt us or wronged us. Do you know that in your life, you today can release forgiveness to people who haven't even apologized? 
because their apology is not the foundation by which your forgiveness is built upon. The forgiveness that you offer is built upon the foundation of what Christ has first offered you. And Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, says to them, if you think that it's offensive that I'm willing to cover this man's sins, just wait for my next act. Rise up and walk. And Jesus gives them specific instructions. He says this, take up your mat, go to your house. <clears throat> I want to pitch something to you this morning. In 1 Samuel 2, the Bible says of the boy Samuel that he was raised and grew up in the presence of the Lord. I want to pitch to you this morning why I think this church is important to your family. I believe that we're building something here in this community that's going to give your family an opportunity to raise kids in the presence of God. And in doing so, not just see you transformed, but see salvation and transformation come to your household. It's not enough for me to get touched. It's not enough for you or I just to get excited on a Sunday morning. When God begins to move into a city, entire households flip. Remember when Paul and Silas ministered to the man in Philippi, the jailer who was just beating them and abusing them and doing all sorts of things? The Bible says, and salvation came to his household. And Jesus tells this man, pick up your mat, leave from this place, and go to your house. Friend, what you experience here is not just meant for here, it actually impacts your house. It impacts the spiritual climate and the atmosphere of your life. It changes your work environment, changes your family culture. It causes generations to grow up in the presence of God. Take up your mat. Go to your house. Now watch. Jesus says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed. Essentially this. It used to hold me, but now I hold it. The mat that I was laying on, the thing that had best represented my disability and dysfunction, now becomes the testimony that I hold. It helps you understand the purpose of the pain that you've been through in your life. How could God ever redeem or restore that broken part of me? Where was God in the midst of my abuse or abandonment or disease or when that person in my family passed away? Where was God in the midst of it? And then in the next season of life, you find yourself using what you laid on as a testimony to somebody else. And this is how the glory of God is made manifest even in the midst of things that the enemy has meant for evil. God uses them as a testimony for our good. I love the faith of the community that Jesus finds himself in. Not only is the house packed, but people are cutting holes in the ceiling to get in. It wasn't too many weeks ago we were on the roof of one of the buildings here, patching it. Big rainstorm, it was leaking. I spent more than my fair share of time on roofs over the last number of years in this remodel. 
But what I know is this, about the last thing that you ever want to do is cut a hole in a roof to let somebody through. But when earth puts a demand on heaven, the lids that we have in this place just seem to fade away. We're starting something new in the month of January, and I wanted to share it with this church community this morning. It's a response to the hunger in this community. It's a response, I believe, to the demand that we're putting on heaven. It's an opportunity to create more space for God to work. It won't be the last time we do this. It's not the first time we've done it. Eventually, it will happen in other cities and maybe even other states, but it's starting here, January 3rd. January 3rd, which is the first Sunday of 2021, we're launching a third service here on Sunday morning. We're going to do one service at 9 a.m. We're going to do another service at 10.30 a.m. We're going to do another service at 12 p.m. And I'm hoping my voice survives all three. But here's what I know. If we don't cry out, even the rocks will. If we don't take the roof off this thing, then we're stifling what God's trying to do next. And I never want to stand in the way of people's hunger for more of God. So we're going to create more room. You know why? Because there's seats in this place with names on them of people who are not yet here. There's some paraplegics that need to be here. There's some addicts that need to be here. There's some families that need to be here. There's some prodigals that need to be here. There's some neighbors that need to be here. There's some people who feel like the best days are behind them that need to be here. There's some restoration that God needs to do here. There's some healing that God needs to do here. And we're going to make more room. Why? Because these chairs have people's names on them. And we're going to see God do his best work in this coming year. Come on, if you believe it, would you stand to your feet? Come on, give a shout to God. Come on, can we end in a song of praise this morning? Come on, let's thank Him for who He is. Let's thank Him for what He's done. This is the goodness of God in the land of the living.